This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, we chat with the woman tasked with helping BYU athletics improve itself off the court, field, and diamond in a variety of ways. Her name is Whitney Johnson. Whitney, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you, Jerem? I'm doing well. Okay, so your title is Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Development, Diversity, and Inclusion. Luckily, it's really short. (laughs) Very short. Yep. (laughs) What does that mean? That means that I am tasked with helping ensure that student athletes have a phenomenal experience while they're at BYU, help them prepare for phenomenal experiences after BYU, and essentially just improve the overall inclusion and belonging or environment and culture of inclusion and belonging that we have at BYU and specifically in the athletics department. Okay, so there's a lot to untangle there. There is. We'll do it throughout our conversation. But first, I sort of want to get your story, and that will sort of set up who you are, and that will lead us to how you're helping the athletes now. So where are you from? What's your background? How has that affected you? Yes. So I am originally from Utah, was born in Utah. I've lived in a lot of different states, Hawaii, Arizona, Indiana. Let's say I did most of my growing up in Utah. And one thing that is very interesting and that I'll come back to multiple times is identity. And that's something that has, my personal identity has changed over time as I've grown up. And it's been recognizing and learning my own identity that's really led me to a passion for diversity and inclusion and belonging. And so I identify as a biracial woman. I And that's something that took me a long time to get to that point to where I recognized that that was my true identity. Um, My dad is black. My mom is white. My earliest memory of recognizing my own race, what that meant, why it was important, what it meant to other people, how other people viewed me, was when I was in kindergarten. We had just moved, actually. So, again, I had mentioned I was born in Utah. We lived in Hawaii for a while, then we moved to Arizona um, before moving back to Utah. And again, that's where I went to high school. When I was in kindergarten in Arizona, just coming from Hawaii, a very ethnically and racially diverse area. And when we got to Arizona, I was the only one that looked like me in my class. And I remember coming home and I, I had been bullied and I, had, I was bullied throughout my whole year in kindergarten um, because of how I looked and because I looked different. Um, and so when I, I got home one day and I just burst into tears and I said, Mom, why don't I look like you? I wish I looked like you. And I recognized that because of how I looked was impacting how others viewed me, how others treated me. So that started me on a path where I was really defiant. I didn't want to be black because I felt like that came with a lot of stereotypes, a lot of expectations. Then again, I felt like in my limited view of my own identity, I felt like they, these were stereotypes that I couldn't ascribe to. I couldn't, I couldn't live up to. I, they didn't fit who I was. I felt like I was being put into a box that I didn't want to be put into. And so living in Utah, predominantly white area, I fought against the stereotypes that others would place on me. And I tried really hard to just pretend I was white and said, hey, I'm not culturally diverse. I'm not different. I'm just like you. I, I don't want to be black because I didn't understand what that meant and what that meant for me. When I got to college, I carried that with me. And I played basketball at the University of New Mexico before playing basketball at Southern Utah University. I was a grad transfer there in in New Mexico. I had other black teammates, other black people around me. I didn't connect with them, though. And now, in hindsight, I recognize that was more of 
the religious standards that I had, me being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At the time, I thought it was racially charged. I thought it was, they were a different black, they were a different kind of black than me, and that's why I couldn't relate to them or so I thought. And it wasn't until I got out of college and I had an experience, um, and this was years after college, so I'd, I'd graduated with my master's from Southern Utah, finished my playing career. I had worked at Indiana University, and there, after graduating, I worked at Indiana University, and I was one of the few employees of color in the athletics department. And so they asked me to carry the diversity and inclusion initiatives that they wanted. And I said, no, find someone else. That's not me. I'm not diverse. You don't know who I am, and you can't pretend to know who I am just because of how I look. I I don't want to do this. And so I tried to say no, and they didn't accept that and said, no, Whitney, you're going to do this. And I said, okay. If you're going to make me do this, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. And so I started meeting with students and asking them, the uh, specifically racially and ethnically diverse students, and asking them, what are, the, what are you going through? What, what is it like being here in Indiana? What's your experience like? And I realized that a lot of the things that they were struggling with and going through were the same things that I had struggled with and gone through throughout all of my growing up and feeling that people didn't understand me and and feeling that there were pressures to be someone I didn't want to be. And even though the student athletes were experiencing different things than exactly what I experienced, I could empathize with them. And so that's when I really got passionate about diversity and inclusion. I said, okay, there is something here. There is something not right. These student athletes are are struggling and they're struggling with something that is not their fault and they shouldn't struggle with it. So I'm going to help them out. And then, so I, so I got into the work because of them. I then worked at the NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis. And I remember uh, we, we, we did a lot of programming, um, put on a lot of events for student athletes, coaches, and administrators. And there was one particular event. I was working with one of my colleagues. He was black. And after the event, we, we were setting up some things and we had some time just to chat. And he just started talking to me. And it was one of the first interactions that I'd ever had with a black person where I wasn't putting pressure on myself to be someone that I thought I should be. He wasn't putting any pressure on me to be someone I wasn't. He just wanted to get to know me. And it was just a genuine conversation. And that was when I realized, okay, I am part of the black community and it's okay. I can be myself. I belong here. And so I let myself belong. And that was also a moment where I realized that I didn't have to ascribe to stereotypes or put myself into a box or or fit into what people thought black should be I could I could be myself and I could be accepted and so that was a moment where for the first time I was very proud to be part of the black community because I I there was no there was no pressure to to be someone who I was and I I could be black and I felt comfortable talking with him and so that was the moment where I was then became passionate about diversity inclusion not so much for others, but also for myself. And recognizing this this need to come to terms with one's identity, to understand what that means and to have other people accept it. And to not feel like you're constantly hiding who you are or you're constantly fighting against a system of who people think you should be. And finding your true identity can be very freeing. And that's what belonging is to me, is allowing people to live their true identities freely. So your job title, as we mentioned, Associate AD for Student Athlete Development, Diversity, and Inclusion. How did this job come to be? Because it's a new position in the athletic department. Yes. So this job came to be, and it was in the works long before I came into the picture. Our athletic director, Tom Homel, his 
associate athletic directors as well, specifically Brian Santiago, Liz Dargrad, our vice president of advancement, Keith Forkink. They've been seeing for a while opportunities for improvement within the athletics department. BYU is an incredible place with a lot of opportunity for students to experience new things, to learn in different ways, to have their perspective perspectives opened. And yet, just like any institution, it's not perfect. And the again, Tom, our AD, and the other leaders in the athletics department were recognizing that there were demographics and populations of our student athletes that weren't having the best experience. And those are specifically people who ascribe to or have the identities of being ethnically or racially diverse, LGBTQ+, those who are religiously diverse or who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and international student athletes. There's a lot of these people. Yes. Right? Yes. More than more I think. More than you'd think. More than people think yeah. at BYU. Yep. And so they, they recognized that there, that there was a need, that these student athletes in these demographics didn't feel like they belonged. They didn't feel like BYU was a place where they could thrive. And for a specific reason, because they felt marginalized and they, they felt that they couldn't live their full true identities in the way that they wanted to. And so that's where the idea for this position came into play is Tom. And Tom is leading the charge with diversity and inclusion. I will say that very clearly. He is the point guard. He is the one who is who is passionate about these things, who wants to improve the student-athlete experience. He is all on board with making sure that the, our student-athletes have everything they need to succeed. And he felt strongly that this is a position that needed to be created to focus specifically on those student-athletes who, who don't feel like BYU is the place for them. And BYU is a place where everyone should feel like they belong and, and where everyone can thrive. And so we just needed to bridge that gap between what BYU could be and what it is and, and how to make it great for everyone. And that's awesome because there's one student that epitomizes this to me a little bit. His name's Gavin Julian. He's on mm-hmm. the men's volleyball team. His dad is black, uh, you know, African-American. His mom is Polish. So unique background, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in Wisconsin, and but speaks fluent Polish and has been to Poland. He's a unique cat. He's not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I, I told him, hey, I'm so glad you're here. We need more people like you because this place is unique, like you said. And it's an amazing place. But it certainly has some work to do, like a lot of places, mm-hmm. in helping people feel like, yes, this is an amazing place and I can be who I am and thrive. Yeah. So your position is created. And like you mentioned, Tom is leading the charge. A moment on Tom. Tom is the most personable athletic director I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. There's 600-something uh, student-athletes. 630, approximately. I was going to say, there's an yep. exact number. Um, Tom knows the name of every single one. He does. He does not have to do this. I don't think Cougar fans realize he cares about every single student. That is not hearsay or just you know lip service. He really does care. So this position, I think, is a manifestation of that in quite a, quite mm-hmm. a way. So- when you apply for and get this position, you feel pressure in the beginning? I mean, this what what you're being tasked to do is, and like you said, Tom's leading the charge. It's not uh-huh. just you. Yeah. But to, to try and make sure this experience is uh, great for these student athletes who feel marginalized. Yeah. Is that some pressure? What, it, what is that like to, to be in charge of this in a way? I will say it's a ton of pressure. I will also say, again, Tom is leading the charge and he has made it very clear that diversity and inclusion and belonging belonging isn't something that I'm leading. It's not something that's just on me 
that I'm the only one who can talk about it. I'm the only one who can do stuff about it. It is a team effort. He wants everyone engaged in this work. And I am one to come in and, and help everyone understand how, help help people under better understand the how, the why, the what. Again, Tom's out in front. He's excited about all of this. And I'm there to help create and, and move this vision along. So going back to the pressure, it's a ton of pressure because we're talking about people who are truly struggling, who truly feel miserable. And again, that's that's not saying that BYU isn't a great place. That's not saying that there's not amazing things happening at BYU because there are. There, there are so many amazing faculty who love their students and there are so many great classes and opportunities. And I think we can all identify and empathize with the feeling of, of being alone and feeling like people don't understand you. And yes, there are student athletes right now who, who are feeling miserable. And so it's a lot of pressure on me that I put on myself thinking, okay, I need to come in here and I need to fix everything. And I can't do that. And I knew that I couldn't do that. And so one of my first goals coming in, because remember, I wasn't a student athlete here. This is my first time working here. You competed against BYU. I competed. I did. (laughs) You're on the other side. I was. We can. You're coming to the pit to play New Mexico. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So me being an outsider to BYU in a lot of ways, I knew that I needed to come in and I needed to learn. So one of the first things that I did, and I'm still doing, was learn. I've met with approximately 100 different student athletes. I've met with a couple dozen different faculty members, a couple more dozen staff and administrators who are working in student services. I have met with all of our senior leaders. I've met with our administrators in the athletics department. I have met with every single head coach. I am having a ton of conversations and I've had a ton of conversations about what BYU looks like from the people who are there on a day-to-day basis. And so everything that I am doing and everything that I've done and what I am going to continue to do is all based on what I've learned and what these voices, these people, these human beings have told me about what their experience is here. And so that's formed my vision. Also, I also recognize, though, one-on-one conversations aren't enough. So what we're going to do later on this year is we are going to have an in-depth inclusion and belonging culture scan where we're going to survey all of our student athletes, all of our coaches, all of our administrators. So we, we have tangible data that can tell us, okay, here's here's what we're missing. Here's where the holes are in the student athlete experience. And not just student athlete experience, but there are coaches for yeah, whom BYU is a place. Yeah, because you don't just cover student athletes. It's right. everybody in the athletic department, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Coaches, administrators, and student athletes and staff members. I want to help make sure they all have a phenomenal experience here. And so, and they're the ones that will probably help in a massive way, right? Right. Um, and influence the student athletes. Right. And, and vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. It is all about building this inclusive culture and this this environment of true, not to be cliche, but loving belonging, this environment where people yeah. can truly thrive within their, their identity. So um, it's been a stressful job because I feel like there there's a lot to do. And again, when you're creating something from scratch, there's there's no blueprint Right. There's there's no here's here's what you need to do on a day to day basis. Here's what your job looks like. But through every everyone that I've talked to, through everything that I've learned and, and what I will continue to learn, that's that's what I'm basing our visions and goals are is what have people told me and and how do, how can we move forward? How can we make this a better place for for everyone? You said that some of the athletes are miserable. That sounds terrible. And maybe to me, I'm like, well, what? Shoot. What do we do? And we means a lot of things. Right. 
It's obviously the the student athletes, teammates, coaches around them. It's Cougar Nation as well mm-hmm. as fans. Social media. Let's not act like that's not highly influential in a young person's life and right. everybody's life. So, what's being done to try and make it a good experience, like you talked about? Yeah, from your end and from everyone's end. Exactly. Before I dive into the how, I would I would like to briefly illustrate two stories of student athletes with whom I've spoken, because I do feel like their stories are illustrative of these feelings and these emotions and and what student-athletes are experiencing. One student-athlete in particular, he was, so this was right when he was recruited. He was moving into Provo. Provo, Utah community is from out of state, um, not from Utah. And so he's going to the store and he's buying things that he needs for his dorm. And he sees someone and so he's in line. He sees someone at the store walk behind the cashier to look at batteries. And he thinks, oh, I need some batteries, too. Let me let me go do that. This is an ethnically diverse student athlete. And so, again, he, he had seen someone else walk behind the cashier and look at batteries and everything was OK. The second that he does, the cashier gets stiff, gets nervous, turns, turns to him and says, you can't be there. You can't you can't stand behind me. You, you, you can't look at batteries in this area. And that was a shocking moment for him thinking, okay, what I, I didn't do anything different than, than the person in front. And so the natural conclusion is, oh, because of how he looks, it made this cashier nervous. Another example is, is of, of a student athlete. Um, and again, I go back, I'll go back to this. BYU is a great place where, I, where there are a lot of people who are loving, who are open. I think a lot of the times we just don't understand the impact of our words and we don't recognize the biases that we hold. And so with this particular student athlete, this was during the events of last year, which we all know there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of controversy, a lot of high emotions. And this student athlete was worried for her family. There were a few things that were happening that that made her worried. And again, she she's not from Utah. And so she expressed her worry for her family to other students or her friends. And they said, oh, it's OK. These things aren't happening any more than they've ever happened. It's just more publicized by the media. And it was one of those comments where, OK, so clearly <laughs> there's an issue with our nation. And you're saying that the only difference now is that it's publicized and there's still these issues. I And she felt that her fear and worry for her family was being invalidated. And so, again, it just that there, there are student athletes who, who on a day-to-day basis feel invalidated. And so the how, how are we fighting against that? How are we working to help make sure student athletes have, have a great experience while we're here? Part of that, and so going back to the conversations that I've had, the two pillars of focus that I've identified through my conversations are education and community. We want to educate people. We want to educate people about inclusive language, what that sounds like, what that looks like. We want to educate people on different cultures, what's appropriate to say, and not just cultures, but how to talk about sexuality and gender identity, how to connect with someone who speaks differently, looks differently, believes differently, someone from a different background. So education is one of those huge pillars. The other is community. And I think when I talk about community, a lot of people think, oh, like community service, which is a great thing. When I talk about community, I'm talking more about helping our student athletes, coaches, and administrators feel like they have a strong support system. They have 
a place, a group of people where they can go and be themselves truly and freely and openly. And we do have very, very strong team cultures here at BYU. I will say that I have been very impressed with the student athletes and how they talk about their teams, how they talk about their cultures and, and how they feel safe there. It's often when they step outside of their teams that they don't feel that security and safety net. And so it's helping to permeate those healthy team cultures outside of the team. So it doesn't matter where a student athlete goes on campus, they always feel like they're accepted and included and that they can be themselves and belong. How much can you influence that being specific to athletics? Because I guess that's a challenge of, well, shoot, I can influence these people here and they can influence other people. But ultimately it's like, well, your area is the athletic department, right? And hopefully it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as a not only a, a school, an athletic department, a school, a county, a state, a country, a world, I guess it starts with one group and has to spread from there? That is definitely one way to do it. And you ask really the golden question, right? How big, how expansive can any one person's sphere of influence be? Or as an mm-hmm. athletics department, how expansive can can our sphere of influence be? How can we help BYU as a whole rise to the occasion. And I will say this, and I am so grateful for this, I am not alone in the work that I'm doing. Again, there are amazing faculty members on campus who have been doing this work for years. And, and you're joining the fight. And I'm joining. That's okay. that's exactly what I'm doing. I am joining the fight. And one of the one of key focus for me has been building those bridges. Right. I want to make sure that our student athletes know where they can go outside of athletics for those support systems, for those safety mm-hmm. nets. What are the resources that are available to them? There are so many resources available to the the four demographics I talked about, the religiously diverse, LGBTQ, international student-athletes, ethnically diverse. There There are a ton of resources available on BYU's campus for anyone and everyone, and specifically those the people who identify or who are in those demographics. And so part of my job and part of the education pillar I talked about is helping students recognize what's already there and helping to make those connections and, and helping them feel like they truly aren't alone wherever they go. It, a lot of it is just they don't they don't know what's out there. They don't know what resources are are available to them and where those safety nets already are. So in addition to helping make a lot of those connections, two other visions or strategies, strategic pillars, we'll call them, that that we're also working on we do want to increase the number of diverse coaches, staff, and administrators, and student athletes at BYU. How so? Um, and so that well, that comes into recruiting and retention. And I will say this: that is something that we're not focusing on in the immediate future because it's at one of those. At some point things. later, mm-hmm. NFL has like a Rooney Rule. You're mm-hmm. obligated to interview. That's been critiqued to where, hey, well, we're not actually seeing as many. It's an attempt at something like that, right? Right. So you're saying eventually there'll be more discussed with that idea. And we're having those discussions now. Gotcha. And the WCC, the West Coast Conference, has implemented the Russell Rule. Love this. Which is a phenomenal initiative to help make sure that in the interview process and in the recruiting process, we're not limiting ourselves to small audiences, that we're being open and inclusive in who we're looking to invite here and making that option more available for more people. And so the Russell rule is one thing that's being implemented. And I will say that we'll have more discussions about that. In the immediate future, it's one of those things you can't justify bringing 
more diverse people here if the ones here don't feel like they're having a phenomenal time, right? So we so we're fair. we're wanting to focus on on who's here, how we can help improve their experience, help pave the way so that as we're recruiting, as we're opening the door for for more possibilities, for more people just to know about BYU and to know how amazing BYU is, right? Like we we want to be that light on a hill that's not just shining for a select group of people. We want everyone to know how what amazing resources are at BYU and what an amazing opportunity for an education BYU is. And so as, as we're opening that door, we want to make sure that we have structures in place so that when those people come, they're coming into a system that's ready to welcome them and, and has everything they need to succeed. And again, BYU has a ton of things to help diverse populations succeed right now. I think it's a matter of helping to communicate that those resources are here um, and helping to continue to develop the diverse populations that we have here. You mentioned the education part. Mm-hmm. We give us a taste of that because... I increasingly find myself trying to learn more about, oh, how can I approach certain questions? For example, I want to know kind of someone's background, but I don't know, always know how to ask that. Some people say, where are you from? And they're like, Louisiana. Or, or, where, or maybe it's like, I'm not, I know that this person's Polynesian, but I don't know if they're Samoan, Tongan, Maori, Hawaiian, Fijian. So is there a, a good way to approach this that maybe would be just a simple sort of uh, rule of thumb in this situation? Yes, yes. So a good rule of thumb is to acknowledge and not assume. We can mm. acknowledge that how we look, how people look, has an impact on their experiences. We can acknowledge that people look different, so they probably have a different experience than I do. That's okay to acknowledge. And I want to understand that, but I don't want to be we, weird or insensitive. And we don't want to assume. Yes. We don't want to assume that we know who, who they are. We don't yeah. want to assume that we know how their experiences have has differed from mine. We're, we're not making assumptions. And so in that acknowledge but not assume, that's what's happening internally, right? You're, you're, you're observing and you're not bringing any biases with that. You're making the observation. And then you need to allow them to communicate what they're comfortable communicating to you. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those instances and what I mentioned earlier, identity, right? Allow them to tell you what their identity is. Allow them to communicate that to you without you assuming, without you um, asking uncomfortable questions. So uh, you're probably asking, okay, so what, what does that look like? What does that sound like? And... Rewinding just a little bit, and this may not be the the answer that you want to hear, but oftentimes if there's no relationship of trust, someone's not going to be comfortable sharing their identity with you Mm -hmm. because they don't know how that's going to be received. So honestly, my advice for you would be don't ask the question yet. Get to know other things. Wait until a relationship is established. Wait until you have an established relationship and and. And you, ha- you have this relationship of trust, and they know you, you know them, and really t- take the time to get to know them as a person bef- before you, you find yourself jumping into conversations about race, about identity, about sexual orientation, because all of those are part- core parts of their being, core parts of their identity that they might not feel comfortable sharing with you if they don't know you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to open themselves up to that if... They don't feel like there's a mutual level of trust yeah. and friendship. Totally. So I would say, so don't ask. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait until you've gotten to know other parts yeah. of them and wait until you have some things in common 
So I think, and I think that also goes back to, you know, acknowledge versus assuming. Um, don't, don't assume that they want to sh- get deep and share those personal things with you and yeah. until you know more about them. And there are other things, right? Because we're talking, you kind of mentioned like, let's say, okay, I, I acknowledge, I see that you're Polynesian. I don't know which island you're from yet though, or I, I want to know more about, more about your culture. Do, do, do you have anything else in common before you even dive into that? Mm-hmm. Like, do, you, do you have hobbies that you share? Are there um, things, do you have other things in common before you, you just jump into a discussion on, on culture? Because that can be something very, very personal and, again, a core part of their identity that you, you can open the door and allow them to share that with you, and then you have to let them control the discussion from there. There are all types of athletes at BYU. Certain sports, uh, you know, have different uh, people from different backgrounds, different everything, right? The men's volleyball team is a team that I've called the matches for for the last 13 years. Last year's team happened to be extra international. Mm -hmm. They had a hoodie that had um, all the countries they were from on it. Very cool. And Sean Olmstead actually gave me one. It's one of my cherished pieces from last year's team. Awesome. I thought it was so special to have a group of, like you said, internationals together. And they formed this culture that was so cool because you don't see – a Finnish dude hanging out with a Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. hanging out with a Brazilian, hanging out with a Hawaiian often mm-hmm. in many walks of life. Mm-hmm. It was special. So wh- where have you seen sort of these people who feel marginalized where they've been able to integrate into a group oftentimes with their team where it is a special experience for them? And hopefully we can somehow emulate that same experience outside of the team. But like are there teams or situations where you're like, hey, this is actually special that we have all these people together in this situation like that. Have you seen anything like that? Yes. So I've enjoyed those. Yes. And I'm hoping they feel like they can have that experience off the court, off the field, right? Like you yeah. said. Yep. I, there are a lot of teams. And I, I, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of our teams, most of our teams, if not all, have healthy, great cultures where that exact thing is happening. And it does permeate outside of the team. Occasionally, I was talking to one student athlete in particular, and she has two roommates that are both of a different ethnic diversity or racial diversity than her. Um, And she was sharing with me all of the amazing discussions that they've been able to have and the growth. Once the relationship is. Once the relationship (laughs) has been, because they're friends, right? They're friends first. And it has allowed them to have these conversations. And she was sharing with me the amazing things that she felt feels like she's learned and the awareness that she's grown into and the passion that she has for diversity and inclusion now because she's been able to hear their stories and recognize that her experience is different than theirs. And that's great. That's that's what we want, right? Going back to acknowledging we everyone has a different experience and everyone should feel free to share that and rejoice in that. And um, it's it's allowed this student athlete to really develop a passion for diversity. So yes, there there are those instances and those experiences happening happening in a lot of different pockets on BYU campus, and and we want more of that. Okay, let's talk about your jump shot. Is it still good? <laughs> it it's a little rusty. It's a little rusty. It's rusty. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Were you a good player in college? I was all right. Yeah. What does it, what does that mean? <laughs> I am going what does that to look let like, our listen. Oh, the, the excellent question. What does that look like? I'm going to let our li- listeners go watch some videos. Go, yeah. Go Are there some YouTube Google. videos. There's not a lot, actually. You may have to do a little <laughs> deep internet dive, but I'll let them judge for themselves how good of a player. How do you fare against? Well, let's see. You 
you played in the WCC when BYU was in the WCC, so not necessarily Mountain West against BYU, right? Did I, you play a couple games? I played in the Mountain West. Oh, okay. So, and I actually played. Oh, you're so old. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I will. I take that. I take my age as a compliment. And I, yeah. So I played in the Mountain West. You look young. That's why I say that. I, people can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> people can't. See it. I feel like you're 26. I don't. Yeah, you can't be that old. I will. We'll go with 26. <laughs> I uh, so yeah played a uh, New Mexico while I was in the Mountain West and so I actually think we played BYU in a preseason game mm. and then I played at Southern Utah University in the Big Sky yep. and we also played BYU preseason. So how'd, how'd you do against the Cougars? You know, uh, that <laughs> <laughs> I'm so embarrassed right now. We lost. We lost. It's okay. okay. It's okay to admit. Mm. And I'm here. So listen, Southern Utah beat BYU I think two years ago in women's basketball. And we went into overtime. That was a watershed moment. Yeah. 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 When I when I when I played them while we were at SU while I was at SUU, we went into overtime. Okay. So the grad transfer. Yeah. Whitney Johnson trying to finish the deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, you, you talked about your journey too in the beginning. Going to Indiana, that was sort of the precursor of this job in many ways, mm-hmm. without knowing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And your experiences with the NCA, obviously. Did you feel like? When this job opened up, this was something like, oh, I've had experience in this. I, th- I think I could help BYU in that way. Or, the, or was it something different? How would you feel about it when it opened up? Because this job like... isn't for everybody. I Correct. think this job is uh, challenging. Yeah. You're dealing with real people with real uh, emotions and problems. There are a lot of easier jobs, Whitney. There than are. the job you took on. And I'm going to key in on the emotions. I think people – well – they might be surprised. They might not. The number of conversations I have had where the person I'm talking to has cried. Mm. And I'm an emotional person. I don't hide that. I cry. But it's not me who starts the tears. It's, it's the person that's speaking with me who's crying. And like, me being a, a, you know empathetic, sympathetic crier, I, yeah, just the number of conversations where the emotions are raw, they are heavy. And so that's something that I'm working through is... is how to separate that and and and, and leave leave all of that uh, that emotion here so I'm not carrying it with me everywhere I go because I've also realized recognized through this job it's brought up a lot of emotions for me personally and going back to my journey with identity I didn't even come into my identity as a biracial woman and I didn't even feel accepted by the black community and until you know years after college and so mm. so this job has brought up a lot of emotion for for me specifically and and my experience as an ethnic minority and as a female. And so, that yes, anyways, tons of emotion all the time. People say, oh, yeah, I don't want my job to affect my home life. Yeah. This is impossible not to. It's... Like real people, when they triumph, you win with them. Yeah. And when they don't triumph on or off the court, field, whatever, you empathize and sympathize with them as well. Yeah. This is a heavy position. It, yes. Why take it? Yes. When this job became available, and I actually was working at church headquarters at the time in Salt Lake City. And the Cobb, for those who know. <laughs> church <laughs> yes. office building. Yes, My I was My grandpa the worked Cobb. there forever. Oh, very yep. nice. Third yep. floor, missionary yep. department. Great place, great people. And I, I wasn't – the reason I took that job at the church is because I felt like I – needed some time away from athletics. The athletics industry is busy. It is hectic. Is It, it is intense. It is emotional. It is so much fun and it is 24/7. wild. It is 24-7. And I just needed a break for a little bit. So I took the job at the church and I wasn't looking to get back into athletics, although because I missionary knew. work isn't 24-7, <laughs> That's also 24-7. Wait actually. a minute. So I went from one 24-7 thing to yeah. another 20. Anyways, I love, I love working, whatever. Workaholic. <laughs> um, but I... 
I wasn't, so I wasn't looking for anything necessarily. I knew that eventually I was going to get back into athletics. This is where my heart is. I love an student athlete. athletes. And yeah. I love the student athlete experience. And it is, it is such an amazing, unique time in college. I, I knew I was going to get back to that eventually. When this job became available, in some ways it was a dream job. It was back on campus. And I knew I wanted to get back on campus. I wanted to get closer to the student athlete experience. The NCAA was just a little couple steps removed from the in the trenches student athlete experience. So I wanted to get back in the trenches. I wanted to work in athletics. I wanted to work in both student athlete development. So again, preparing student athletes for for life after college for to help to help them go pro in whatever they wanted to go pro in. I wanted to be a part of that process. And I wanted to work in diversity and inclusion. And the reason I wanted to work in diversity and inclusion is and going back to my journey that that was something that that I'd worked in and fought for on the behalf of students and then it became something personal to me and during my time at the and a little before I actually got to the church church headquarters I had joined an organization return on inclusion I was invited to be part of their advisory board so even though I wasn't even and I'd also I was also working for another organization called Untold Athletes. So even though I wasn't in college athletics, those were my hobbies. Those were my nighttime mm. jobs after I finished my day job. And I was doing a lot with diversity and inclusion in those two capacities. And I just thought, man, I I know so much more now than I had at Indiana and at Indiana University and at the NCAA and I and so I, I wanted to to be in the trenches with this work. And so this job came a bit available and I thought, wow. This is my opportunity to be in the trenches. I will also say this job was something that I wasn't sure I was ready for because I knew it would be emotional. I knew it would be heavy. And the fact that it was here at BYU, a place that, again, I hadn't played at. I hadn't gone to school. Uh, I hadn't worked at previously. I knew there would be unique challenges here challenges and opportunities, right? I knew that in some ways this was going to be a continuation of my work at the church in the sense that my testimony and my reliance on the spirit was also going to be a huge part of, of my work here. And I was going to be able to be open about that, you know, praying praying before meetings, being able to bear my testimony to students in a way that's that's not awkward and you don't have to separate church and state. So I knew coming here was going to be an opportunity. I knew that was also going to be a challenge because a lot of my counterparts working in diversity and inclusion, yeah, they're talking about LGBTQ. Yeah, they're talking about the ethnically diverse. Yeah, they're talking about international student athletes. There's not as much discussion about religiously diverse. And so that was a segment that I was diving into, again, without a blueprint and without being able to have really in-depth discussions about what does that religious aspect mean and look like in terms of diversity and inclusion in athletics. So I knew that, so there were a lot of unknowns, a lot of challenges coming here with BYU, but my excitement and my ambition won out and and luckily Tom liked me <laughs> enough to <laughs> give me a chance. When you talk about those four areas, there are student athletes who check the box on multiple. Yeah. Which is Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Ben Criddle of ESPN 960 is, has said before, hey, there are double minorities at BYU where, hey, maybe black who's not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ in Latter-day Saints, double mm -hmm. these things. Sometimes there's multiple. Is it um, everyone's challenge is unique mm -hmm. and everyone's going through something? Um, I guess how can how can we make sure, I guess, uh, I guess this one's for Cougar Nation. How can we be uh, understanding and help the student athletes and coaches and everybody have a great experience from that position mm -hmm. who 
hey, I'm Davide Gardini. I'm on the men's volleyball team. I'm not a member of the church. I'm from Italy. But hopefully he has an amazing experience here. Yeah. What, what can Cougar Nation do to be helpful in this cause? It goes back to what I was saying earlier, and I touched on it a little bit when I was talking about acknowledge versus assume. The first thing I think we all need to have more of is empathy. We all need to recognize that every single person has a story that's not our own, and every single person has experiences that we haven't had before. And so you can't go into a situation thinking, oh, you're wrong. Oh, they're not having that experience. Oh, BYU isn't that bad because it was great for me. And the vice versa is true, right? I I can't say, oh, as a student athlete, BYU was a horrible place for me. How could I have been great for you? We we have to recognize that there are opposite ends of the spectrum and and everything. And two people can can be in the exact same situation and have completely different perspectives about it. And I think we really need to take more time to understand that and be okay with that. And understand that, and I'll, I'll, I'll use first person just talking about me personally, I, it, I need to be okay with recognizing that I don't know everything, and I don't know everything about you. And I need to sit in that discomfort a little bit and be willing to have conversations to get to a point where I can better understand you. And so it's listening. It's taking the time to step back, step away from the emotions, step away from the, dis- the instant flare of defensiveness and disagreement that might come when someone says something that you don't agree with and be willing to listen and hear them out. And even at the end of that, I may not agree. I, I still may not be able to understand your experience. But at the very least, we've taken time to build a relationship of trust. That's only going to flourish from there. So building relationships of trust and empathy, I think we all need to do a better job of checking our biases. We all, the, the human brain is a phenomenal organ and it is very efficient and it likes to make quick decisions. If we go back a hundred years and there's a tiger attacking, our brains did not have time to go through, okay, okay, he has claws, he has teeth, he's coming at me really quickly. Okay, I I think he's about to attack. Okay, you know, no, by the time you're done processing Mm -hmm. all of that, you're dead. And so the brain makes snap quick decisions and that's good. That was meant to save our lives back when we were all hunter-gatherers. Now Though we need to recognize that our brains are quick to make assumptions, quick to make those judgments, and and we can't allow those those quick cognitive processes to influence quick actions on our part that are going to hinder and prohibit true human connection. And so hmm. taking a step back from our biases is a really good. And finally, I would say specifically talking about Cougar Nation, right? Because a lot of the interaction that Cougar Nation has with with BYU student-athletes is, you know, you're in the stands at games, so you're yelling things, or it's via social media. Um, I think specifically with, with social media and implementing both of those two things that I just talked about, having empathy and checking our biases, I think it's all important that we just be Christ-like in the sense that we are willing to ask questions before we be willing to make assumptions or judgments. People will answer questions, but they're going to argue facts and statements. So I think if we're all just more open to asking questions and listening, I'll go a long way. I love that. Let's talk about your dad. So <laughs> let's talk about my dad. Peter, he has an amazing story. Uh, you know, convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, grew up in uh, New York City and moves to Hawaii and discovers uh, a different life. Mm-hmm. And, and he's now 
one of the few African-American general authorities? Are there others? I don't really know, but I know who your dad is. Yeah. So he is actually the first African-American general authority. There have been other black general authorities. They have been from other countries. So they're African or they're from South America. So my dad is the first African-American general authority. What does that mean to you and your family? And how is that in any way connected to sort of the work you're doing of like identity and who you are and how you can help other people who have gone through something similar. Because yeah. your dad's a, a pioneer in that way, in the church. He is. He is. And, and he played college basketball and he's got some game, right? And he does have <laughs> some game. And for how rusty I am, I can still take him Nice. Today. Ten years ago, might have been a different story, but I can take him <laughs> right now. If we were to play right now, I would take him. Nice. Um, yes. My, so first off, I will say my dad is, he's, he is a great man. I love my dad and he chose an amazing woman. My mom is a phenomenal person as well. Um, My dad will say that my mom chose him and proposed to him, but we all know that's not the truth. Don't be (laughs) fooled, Cougar Nation. He proposed to my mom. I will say in terms of what his position in the church means for our family, I'm going to be very vulnerable and say that when he first got called, I was very angry for how phenomenal my dad is. And we can all say this about our parents. We recognize that our parents may have flaws and no one's perfect. And we see the funny quirks that our family members have. And so when when my dad first got called, first off, I recognized that it would mean that him and my mom wouldn't just be my parents anymore, that they would be, well, currently they're serving a mission in Manchester, England, and they are parents to 200 missionaries. And they're not here at home, and they're not getting to spend time with my nephew, their first and only grandson. So, you know, they're they're not having the family experience that we all thought we'd be having at this time. So that first thing that it made me mad that I knew that they weren't going to be just my parents, they were going to be off doing were amazing work and being parents to a lot of other people. And the second, taking into account <laughs> the quirks that I know my parents have, I thought, eh, this is this is kind of weird. <laughs> this is this is different. General I, authority. General authority. Like super people, important. I, that sounds super important. People yeah, think yeah. that's super important, and I just see my dad. Yep. I just see a man who gets very passionate at basketball games. I see someone who is willing to drop anything and everything for his family, for his kids. He loves us all so much, which is amazing to see. I am so proud to be my dad's daughter. I am so proud to be a Johnson. I also want people to know that this work that I'm doing here is, and and how I got this position, it was not dependent on my dad. He clearly is a very influential part of my life. He has played a huge part in me coming to terms with my identity. Um, this work here at BYU is is independent of of my dad, and this is something that you know I I am here because Tom thought I was the best person for the job. And your resume speaks for itself. Yes, I think you have a nice resume. Yeah, your LinkedIn looks great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> that matters, right? That. Yeah. And I could see how you could be somewhat sensitive about that. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. and again, it's I am so proud to be yeah. my daddy's little girl, and I love both my parents immensely. I hope people know that that this work and, and my passion for diversity and inclusion is something that, that I've come to on my own. And again, it's influenced by my dad. Um, 
but this is this is something that that means something to me and it means something to me being here at BYU for reasons independent of my dad because my dad worked here as well oh I didn't know that yo yes what did he do yep so he taught accounting he was an accounting professor I don't know the accounting professors (laughs) typically so that's why that's why that's why that's cool yeah that's cool what are some of the success stories you've found in this? Because we've certainly acknowledged that there are challenges, there are opportunities, there are issues associated with these students who feel marginalized. But what are some of the success stories you've found so far? Yeah. I will say one huge success story is Michael Harper. He's a member of the football team. He invited me to go to one of his classes. He was in a public speaking class. And he was giving a persuasive speech of why black people should come to BYU, why ethnically diverse, why diverse individuals should come to BYU. And he called me the day before he was about to give the speech, walked me through what he was going to say, wanted some suggestions about different things. And and it, and it was just one of those moments where and, – and me and him had had a one-on-one conversation previously where we we talked more about his experience and what it meant to be a black football player here at BYU. And, and you know, he had told me, similar to other things that I'd heard, some, some things that, that were difficult for him, overall – He's loved his experience here, and he recognizes that BYU is a place where he can focus 100% on his sport without distractions. The honor code, he is an advocate of the honor code. And so, first off, him, me, the fact that him and I, and the fact that I feel like we've developed a relationship where he would feel comfortable asking me questions to give input on a speech and then inviting me to come see him give that speech. That was a successful moment for me where I just thought, yes, I get to go cheer on a student athlete in the classroom. It's not, he's not even on the field. Yes, he's in the classroom. So that was a beautiful moment for me. And then a beautiful moment, an educational moment for me too. And, and, and a moment that really reinforced my, my belief that PYU really is a good place. You know, and BYU really is a place where, where students can thrive. We just need to continue to connect those dots to resources and experiences and community and education and, and helping everyone get on the same same page of what it truly means to, to love one another. So that, that, that was one. Do you feel like these students that we're talking about in these areas, that there will be an increasing number of these over time? That this is the tip of the iceberg in terms of, hey, this isn't like a subset of people that exist here now, but probably won't as much later. But do you think there will be more? Because it feels like uh, I was in a meeting uh, a week ago at BYU Broadcasting. They said, hey, 13% of BYU students in a, this poll said they identify with LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, 13%. I didn't realize that if there were 10 students that one of them probably identifies mm-hmm. in that way. I, di- I didn't understand that. Um, that it would be that high. And whether these students are uh, out or not, right, is different. But is this something that we need to obviously learn now, but continue to learn so that, hey, this is this is how life is. This isn't how it used to be. There's a unique subset of different kinds of people that are here and will be here. Yeah. I definitely think, first off, there's a lot more diversity here than I think people realize. Like you said, mm. we have a greater number of LGBTQ students than we know about because they're not out. They don't feel comfortable coming out yet. A lot of them, and we know this, statistics have shown, and I've seen it in my personal experience, a lot of them wait until they graduate to come out. 
And so we do have a higher number of LGBTQ students here at BYU than we know about. And that's hard as an administrator knowing to some extent, I, I can't help you if I don't know who you are. However, that's a limiting thought because also if we were, if we had more inclusive spaces where they felt comfortable being their, their full selves, they would come out and they would know who, I was we, would, ask we would you know that. who they are. Do you feel like, um, I mean, ideally, obviously it's up to every person, but that they come out at BYU or are they afraid that BYU won't accept them? Is that why they don't come out? I, I have heard from students that a lot are afraid that they, there will be retribution, mm. that they'll get kicked out. Yeah. That. Socially not accepted. They socially won't be accepted. That they'll, kind of how I felt with my identity, that they'll be put into a box and people won't take the time to actually get to know them and they'll just assume things about them. I am so sad that this is the case. Yeah. And yet I understand completely those fears. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're working on combating and mitigating those fears. So going back to education too, it's... And I talked briefly about inclusive language a while ago. If, if we can help teach people to know how to give those safe signals, you know, it, it, instead of walking into a room and saying, hey, guys, or ladies and gents, you know, you say esteemed guests or hello, everyone. So this is, language, a, this is a, what you just said is a game changer for most people, myself yeah. included, of not knowing, hey, we need to be careful how we identify a group. Yeah. That's interesting. I had not really heard that before. Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I had an experience at a fast food joint where I wasn't exactly sure what gender the person was. Mm -hmm. And I accidentally said, thanks, man. And I thought, I'm not sure if that's a man. I need to be more sensitive in this moment about maybe I don't identify the gender in this moment. There's a lot Mm -hmm. to learn here. Yeah. Yeah. And so by changing our language to just have more inclusive language, Mm -hmm. we're, we're signaling to people, hey... I don't care how you identify. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you believe about yourself. I'm willing to listen and learn, and I want to be your friend regardless. Mm. Let's not assume. Let's acknowledge differences and acknowledge that we don't know everything and then be open to learning from there. I learned a ton from the we, – we, well, BYU Broadcasting had an LGBTQ plus hour-long conversation about inclusivity mm-hmm. we, uh, a couple weeks ago. We had – Two full-timers um, that I didn't know identified with LGBTQ+, specifically bisexual, married with a w- wife and kids, um, talked about their experience. I didn't know. It was incredible. There was a panel uh, to from from campus, um, the Office of uh, Success and Inclusion, Office I think. Office of Student S- Success and Inclusion. Thank uh-huh. you. Okay. They came and spoke. It was incredible. Two of our students that work here uh, who are male, who are, who are gay, talked, and it was just it was great to hear their experience, identify with them, listen. Yeah. They taught so much. The, the thing I've learned that I want to share, too, that you've shared and I want to share is, yes, listening. Listening really matters. We all want to talk and be heard. Yeah. You know who wants to talk and be heard? Those who aren't being heard. Yeah. It, which is, the, you know, these groups that you're dealing with. So there's so much work to be done. I feel like in two or three years, maybe a year, uh, we'll chat again and we'll see how it's going. Yeah. Because, yes, BYU needs to win games because it raises the profile. Mm -hmm. But they need to be able to attract students who are not only good athletes, but good people who want to come here and get a good education, Mm -hmm. who aren't like me. And, you know, the the traditional average BYU fan in the past, that's a thing of the past. 
Mm-hmm. There are people from all walks of life, and it makes BYU way better. Because if they're just one type of person, that's so boring. Mm-hmm. It just really is. So I, I've really identified with the men's volleyball team who come from different races and cultures and religions. And I looked at the starting lineup one time, and there were only two members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in it. And I thought, how fun is this group yeah. to be so unique and different? Yeah. And BYU Athletics is, is headed in a new direction with this new position. And your work's super important. And I hope you feel that way, that it's not just athletics that acknowledges this, but that it's like us over here and BYU fans going, okay, there's speci- special things going on. Yeah. with our athletes. So keep up the good work. <laughs> well, thank you. And yes, yeah. I look forward to speaking in a year or two, and I'm sure I'll have a long list of more success stories and a long list of more things that I've learned about BYU and, and how I can help make this place better. And I'm going to tie in my work with the missionary department briefly. As being members of the church, we talk about missionary work. We talk about spreading our light. We talk about being a light on the hill, on a, on a hill and, and being a good example. And exactly like you said with the men's volleyball team, what better way to do that than to bring people here who haven't had a lot of exposure or experience to that light previously? Why can't this be a place where people from all nations, all walks of life, all demographics, all ages, all all everything, why can't this be a gathering place for everyone? And and before we do that, before we open up the floodgates, we want to make sure that the people here feel that this is a place where they can really thrive and be loved. And again, there's a lot of great things happening in a lot of areas, and I am here to thrust in my sickle with that work. I'm, I'm not starting from scratch, which I am so relieved about. I I am here. I am joining a force that is strong, that is powerful, and we're just ready to take it places and go further and farther than we've gone before. Whitney, keep shooting, and thanks for the time. (laughs) Thank you. That'll do it for us. You can watch these Deep Blue stories on the BYU TV app, listen to previous episodes of the show on the BYU Radio app as well. For Whitney Johnson, producer Trent Reimschusel, I'm Jerem Jordan. We'll be back every Saturday with more compelling Deep Blue stories right here on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.